If you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 4. We'll get to that in a little bit. And so as you're opening there, I just wanted to ask you, uh, what, what are your mornings like? This morning may have been sleepier than others, since we all lost an hour of sleep. Um, I experienced that myself as I woke up this morning and made sure that my clocks were right and I knew what time it was. But what are your mornings like? What kinds of things do you do every morning? What is your routine like, right? Do you eat breakfast? Do you take a shower? Do you brush your teeth? Did you do any of those things this morning? I sure hope so. Maybe. Um, But what kinds of things do you do to prepare for your day, right? That's ultimately what these routines are about. They're about preparing for the day ahead of us. Well, as I mentioned earlier, we're here at the beginning of the season of Lent. And Lent is a time of preparation. Now, Lent may seem strange or new to some of you, but it has its roots in the early centuries of the church. It's part of the church calendar that we talked about together back at the beginning of December. If you remember, we watched a video together that kind of explained it a little And we talked about how this calendar is a way of remembering and following the life of Jesus throughout the year. And so we've already participated in Advent and Christmas together, which traced the long wait for the Messiah up to his arrival at his birth. And today we enter into the season of Lent, which begins with Jesus' preparation in the wilderness and traces his journey through his life and ministry and ultimately toward his death on the cross. And so here just, I'm going to put on my teacher hat for a second. Here are some fun facts about Lent. Okay, so the word Lent is just the old English word for springtime. Okay, it has the same root as the word length, and it refers to the lengthening of days that we experience during this time of year, and that we will literally experience this evening as our clocks have all changed. The day is going to actually be a little bit longer, feel a little bit longer, and we're going to continue getting more and more daylight over these coming months. And so beginning with Ash Wednesday, if you remember, we're reminded of our mortality. We remember the shortness of our days. But Lent is the journey toward the lengthening of our days, as we set our hope on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so historically, the season of Lent has been a season of preparation for new believers who are going to be received into the community of the church through baptism on Easter. They often would celebrate their own new life in Christ as the whole church celebrates the new life of Christ and the resurrection. And during the season of Lent, New believers would prepare through study, learning the basics of the faith, through prayer, fasting, and as well as participating in generous acts of service. And the rest of the community would also join in these things and rededicate themselves to them. And so because this season of Lent is one of preparation, it's often modeled after Jesus' own time of preparation in the wilderness, where he fasted for 40 days, and 40 nights. And so the season of Lent stretches for 40 days throughout. 
And so all of this that I'm talking about was established really by the middle of the fourth century of the church and has been practiced since then. And so as we enter into the season of Lent together, we join with the historic tradition of the church. But more than that, we enter into the life of Jesus and we join him who, though he was perfect, fasted in the wilderness. And though he was without sin, he became sin for us by his death on the cross. So today we're going to begin where Jesus began. And if you're at Matthew chapter 4, you'll see that this is the story of Jesus going out into the wilderness. But we're actually going to begin a little bit before that, not in the dry wilderness, but rather in the waters of the Jordan. So back up a few verses to 3, chapter 3, verse 13. This is where we're going to start. Listen to the word of the Lord. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. And then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And he fasted forty days and forty nights. And afterwards, he was famished. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for this story and for the invitation that this season holds to join you to prepare for the celebration of your resurrection, but to journey with you in the midst of death. God, I pray that as we reflect on these scriptures and your word, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I want to go back to that first question that I asked you. What are your mornings like? Right? What is something that you do every morning? Now, it's true that every morning you may eat breakfast and take a shower and brush your teeth and all the things that are involved in preparing for the day. But just like before Jesus prepared for ministry by fasting in the wilderness, there's something that you do before any of these things every day. You wake up. And you're in bed, right? Before you do any of those things, you wake up and you're lying in bed. And that's the moment that I want you to reflect on for a moment. What is that moment like for you? Is it slow and sleepy? Or maybe the day rushes in on you all at once and your mind starts racing? Whatever it's like for you, there's a minister and an author whose name is Tish Harrison Warren. 
who describes her moment this way. She says, in those first delicate seconds, the bleary-eyed pause of waking, before the tasks begin, before I get on my game, I'm greeted with the truth of who I am in my most basic self. Because whether we're children or heads of state, we sit in our pajamas for a moment, yawning with messy hair and bad breath, unproductive, groping toward the day. And soon, we'll get buttoned up into our identities, mothers, business people, students, friends, citizens. We'll spend our day conservative or liberal, rich or poor, earnest or cynical, fun-loving or serious. But as we first emerge from sleep, we are nothing but human, unimpressive, vulnerable, newly born into the day blinking as our pupils adjust to the light and our brains emerge into consciousness. So what is that moment like for you? When you are your most basic self. In that moment, what is your core identity? Right? Here's another way of asking that question. There's a book that I've been reading recently called Surrender to Love written by a counselor and spiritual director, and the first chapter opens with a question. He writes, imagine God thinking about you. What do you assume God feels when you come to his mind? And take a moment to ponder that for a moment. What do you assume God feels when he thinks about you? When I was reading this book, I read that, and, and I set the book down for a moment and began to reflect on that myself. And my thoughts went on kind of a particular journey. You know, at first I thought, well, you know, maybe God is proud of me, right? I mean, you know, I'm a preacher at a church. I'm doing God's work after all. I try to be good and, and you know, be a good husband, so on and so forth. But then my thoughts begin to turn. And I began to think of times that I've failed, times that I've messed up, times when I've been stuck in sin. And I began to think about all these moments in my life whenever I'm lazy, whenever I know I could do better. And then I started to think, well, actually, maybe God's kind of disappointed. Maybe, you know, God knows that I could do better. He knows that I could do so much more and then I just kind of trailed off, and I was feeling a little discouraged. And so I picked the book up again and kept reading. And the very next line in the book says this. He writes, When I ask people to do this exercise, a surprising number of people say that the first thing they assume God feels about them is disappointment. And so I sort of just kind of, you know, shuddered there like, oh, he knows me right? And he says, others assume that God might feel anger. And he goes on to write, the consequences of such a view of God is enormous. He says, regardless of what you have come to believe about God based on your life experience, the truth is that when God thinks of you, love swells in his heart and a smile comes to his face. 
That's what we end our service with most weeks. The light of his face would shine on you, right? When God thinks about you, he smiles and his heart fills with love. So coming back to that question, in those first early seconds of the morning, who are you and your most basic self? What is your core identity? The truth is that in your most basic self, in the messy hair, early morning, bad breath version of you, your core identity is that you are loved by God. The truth is that you begin each day as beloved. And that's what this story that we've just read from Matthew is about. Look back at the text in verse 16. It says, As Jesus came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved in whom I am well pleased. Now, I love verses like this, where you can clearly see the Father, the Son, and the Spirit all interacting with one another. They happen a handful of times throughout Scripture, and I think it's moments like these when we can most clearly see the character of God. And what we see here is a deep picture of love. And what's especially impressive about this moment is how very little actually comes before it. I mean, just flip back in your Bible, what, you have a page or two, and, and that's it, right? Up to this point, very little has actually happened in Matthew's story. Up to this point, Jesus has done nothing but be born and grown up living an ordinary life. And yet it's this moment when God speaks forth from heaven to say to Jesus, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Jesus hasn't fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. That's not till the next chapter. Jesus hasn't healed anyone yet. That's not till the end of the next chapter. Jesus hasn't started teaching anyone. That's not until chapter 5. Jesus has not yet done anything impressive. And yet, God pronounces his love on his son. And I think this means something fundamental. That all of the impressive things that Jesus did do, fasting, healing, teaching, praying, dying on the cross, all of these things he did not to earn the love, of his father, but because he was loved by his father. Do you see the difference? This is absolutely fundamental to our life with God and fundamental to us as we enter into the practices of Lent, right? As we enter into prayer, fasting, giving, and service during this season, we do so not in order to earn God's love, but because we are already utterly convinced of his love for us. Let me put it another way. 
if the season of Lent is modeled after the 40 days of Jesus fasting in the wilderness, then we also have to begin where he began, deeply rooted in the love of God. We must begin with these words, you are my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. I think that this is at least one of the reasons why Jesus was baptized at all. He wasn't baptized for the forgiveness of sins. He didn't have any sins. He wasn't baptized for repentance. He had nothing to repent of, right? Jesus was baptized as an example for us. He was baptized to show us that life with God begins in love. To show us that before we have done anything remotely impressive, and often after we've done quite a lot of things that are very unimpressive, to say the least, God's words to us are, you are my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. This is where we must begin. And any good deeds, any transformation that comes is rooted in this love. We begin in love and we live in love. Some of you may know of Henry Nouwen. Uh, he's an author, uh, a thoughtful spiritual leader. And in his book, Life of the Beloved, he put it this way. He says, being beloved is the origin and the fulfillment of the life of the Spirit. As soon as we catch a glimpse of this truth, we are put on a journey in search of the fullness of that truth. And we will not rest until we rest in that truth. So that is ultimately what the season of Lent is about. Prayer, fasting, giving, and service are not hard work to be struggled through, but rather means of resting and living in the love of God. Look, it's true that our dwelling passage, right, does say stuff about straining forward, about pressing on, but sprinkled all throughout the passage over and over and over again is that one word, beloved, beloved, beloved. Paul is constantly reminding them, yes, there is pressing on, yes, there is straining forward, but you begin as beloved. That's what this season is about. And that's what the gospel is about. You are loved by God. And it's my job to get up here week after week and preach that gospel, to open the scriptures and share the truth of God's love with you. But ultimately, that's really an impossible task. Because sure, I can say that over and over again, but it's not really about hearing me say that God loves you as much as it is about you hearing straight from God himself, you are my beloved child. 
So all I can do is plead with you. Listen to God. Listen to his voice that speaks love to you. His voice that the prophets say is rejoicing over you with gladness, renewing you in his love and exulting over you with loud singing. Don't just listen to me. Listen to his love for you. It's where we must begin. So I've continued reading that book that started with the question about what God feels when he thinks of you. And just yesterday, I read another line in that book that stopped me in my tracks and really pierced my heart. It said this, Genuine transformation requires vulnerability. He said, it's not the fact of being loved unconditionally that is life-changing. It is the risky experience of allowing yourself to be loved unconditionally that changes you. This must happen in our relationship with God, yes, but the real training ground for this is the relationships he calls us to with one another right? Being vulnerable with God is one thing, and it's difficult, but at least it's sort of private, right, in some way. But being vulnerable with one another, that's hard stuff, and it is hard, but it's a place where we can experience God's love so deeply. And we see this in the story also, right? Where was Jesus when God's voice sounded from heaven? Or rather, who was Jesus with when he heard God speak, beloved? You see, Jesus wasn't up on a mountaintop by himself. And neither was he leading and teaching people with everything all put together. Rather, he was in the vulnerable position of entrusting himself to John the Baptist, right? Baptism is a really vulnerable thing if you think about it, right? You entrust yourself into the hands of the person who's baptizing you, and you come up from the water with your hair out of shape, maybe your makeup running, squinting eyes to keep water out of them. And it's in this moment of Jesus' baptism that we see that it's not only about hearing from God, but also about entrusting ourselves to one another, about being vulnerable with one another. It's there that we open ourselves up to receive the love of God and to be transformed by him. And I have absolutely experienced this myself in community with others, and especially in my relationship with Caitlin. I've shared a little bit of my own story with you about having been married before and going through divorce. And after my divorce, I went through a season of feeling totally worthless, just completely unworthy of being loved. I was bitter and cynical Romance was good and fine for other people, 
but it wasn't for me, right? I didn't believe that I would ever really love, and really the reason was that I didn't believe that I would ever be loved. And yet God wasn't okay with that. God wouldn't have that, so he sent Caitlin into my life. And I've got to be honest, at first I resisted, right? Caitlin was a friend, but that's all that she would be. That's all that anyone ever would be. And yet, as we continued getting to know one another, as we shared more of our stories with each other, I began to be more and more opened up to love. I began to believe that maybe I could love again, and just maybe I could be loved. And this is a work of healing that God has done and is still doing in my own life, and it's beautiful, and it's amazing. And it just goes to show that it's true that genuine transformation requires vulnerability. As the book I read said, it's not the fact of being loved unconditionally that's life-changing. It's the risky experience of allowing yourself to be loved unconditionally that transforms you. And that's why God has given us to one another. That's why he's drawn us together as the church, to be a vulnerable community that shows the unconditional love of God to one another. But that doesn't make vulnerability any less difficult. It's scary and it's risky, but I wonder what it would look like for our relationships to go beyond nice chit-chat before and after church services. What would it be like if we could look each other deep in the eyes and see past the exterior into the vulnerable messiness of our most basic self. And to speak into that, you are loved. You are loved. And to truly allow that love to actually enter and fill us. And again, this is something that I can stand up here and say over and over and over again. But it's not something I can force. It's not something that I can manufacture. It's not the fact of being loved that is life-changing, but the experience of allowing yourself to be loved. I hope that we can be that kind of community together. So we've looked at the passage a little bit. Jesus vulnerably enters into baptism and emerges from it hearing the voice of God's love. And it's only after that that Jesus enters into his wilderness fasting and public ministry. And it's the same for us. So where do we go from here? Maybe You've never been baptized, and God's calling you into that during this season of preparation. That's an amazing step to take. Or maybe as you enter into this season, what you need most is to just remember and rest in God's love for you. There's 
a singer-songwriter who Caitlin and I love. Her name is Jess Ray. And it was actually one of her songs that Caitlin walked down the aisle to at our wedding. And one of her other songs goes like this. She says, We were born with a light and a fire in our eyes, a part of you inside us. But fear and doubt came along and put it out and poisoned us to forget about it. But oh, if I can hear just one word from your mouth, I will drop all my doubts and drop my defenses. Oh, if I can hear you speak my name, the curse will break and blood will pump through my veins again and I'll come to my senses. That's what we need as we enter into this season. To hear that one word from his mouth, beloved. She has another song And the chorus goes like this. She asks a piercing question. You believe in power. You believe in knowledge. You believe in his presence. But do you believe that he loves you? Before we enter into this season of Lent and all of its practices, we begin as beloved. And it's from this place of deep-seated love that we pray and we fast, that we give and that we serve. It's because we believe in God's love that we can approach him in prayer. It's because we know that God loves us and that that love can sustain us that we fast. It's because we know that God provides that we can give in generosity to others. And it's because we ourselves have experienced the love and service of God that we can, in turn, love and serve others. So as we enter into this season, first, Know that you are loved and that nothing you can do or will do will cause God to love you any more or less than he does right now. As we join in with the church throughout the ages and throughout the world, and as we join in with Jesus through the season of Lent, we begin as beloved. Amen.